Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 21st. As promised yesterday, we are joined on today's podcast by New York Times writer Matt Futterman to discuss what is going on exactly at this year's Australian Open. So much off-court drama transpiring over these past seven days, of course. We knew there was going to be some chaos as, you know, over a thousand people descended upon Australia for this Australian summer of tennis. But of course, once three uh, different flights yielded up to, I believe now, seven positive tests for COVID, things became more complicated. And of course, Australia has done such a good job of managing the coronavirus compared to elsewhere in the world. Their government not willing to compromise their efforts for the sake of a tennis tournament. So of course, we've seen that conflict come to an impasse thus far this week. Players uh, expressing their frustrations on social media. Novak Djokovic submitting a letter with requests by the players for the Australian government. The Australian government quickly denying those requests. A lot has uh, has unfolded. And to help us unpack all of that action, we are joined today by New York Times writer Matt Futterman. As I mentioned, it's a really fun conversation. We talk about those things. Again, he discusses what life on the ground in Melbourne is actually right right, uh, like right now. He talks about Craig Tiley's role in all of this. Craig Tiley, of course, the head of Tennis Australia. Uh, that and so much more. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy this conversation. Hopefully, we get on the, Matt on the podcast a couple of times throughout this Australian summer. Before we get to that conversation, just want to remind all of you listeners that these mini break podcasts are made possible due to the support we get from all of you fans, from our wonderful Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. You go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, 15% off on all of the best equipment in the business. Uh, of course, you also get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Also want to remind all of you college tennis fans listening to this podcast, we will be covering this weekend's ITA kickoff action live on our YouTube channel throughout the weekend. We have the green light to rebroadcast these streams at USC, NC State, Michigan, and Ohio State. We will be NFL red zoning at jumping from site to site, match to match, as the action heats up all day long. Going to be Chris Halliorce and I, along with many of our friends steering the ship, so please be sure to join us, and if you have missed any of our coverage for the ITA kickoff weekend, you can find it all on our website, crackrackets.com, as well as spread out amongst this podcast and our Great Shot podcast feed. But with that in mind, you want to hear a little bit about what is going on in the pro tennis world, so without further ado, let's get to my conversation with New York Times writer Matt Futterman.
Joining us on the podcast tonight, he is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Players, How Sports Became a Business. You may have seen his work in the Philadelphia Inquirer, Wall Street Journal, Star Ledger of New Jersey, or of course, most recently, the New York Times. But perhaps most impressively, he is a 26-time marathon finisher. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Matthew Futterman. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I think I'm actually, if you count the virtual marathons in the fall, I think I'm at 27 actually. But um, <laughs> so you know. that's a per- that's a perfect question be- or comment because my first question to you is: after the 25th, you weren't like, "Yeah, hey, I'm good." Well, I, yeah, I think it's a thing among addicted marathoners certainly to get to 26. <laughs> you know, there's a, the 20, the number 26 has a kind of special meaning. So um, if you're at 25. You're definitely going to go to 26, and 26, I guess, was going to be Boston for me this in 2020, and that got can that got postponed and then canceled, but they did a virtual one, so I did that, and then New York, what New York was uh, 27, and I did that in November. So, um, but I guess I really got to stop counting now and just do it on. <laughs> No, I mean, A, I'm looking at the photo of you right now. It's the jawline of a marathon runner, so bravo to you. Um, yeah, I mean, if I was you, i get to that 26th one, and then on my own, i run that extra point two, that 2.62 miles, and then, or, you know, I guess it's, what, 5.24 miles that gets you that extra point two of the marathon. I call it quits there. I cannot believe the idea. I mean, just finishing one, I ran a half marathon on a bet with some friends in college, and I was like, all right, I'm good yeah it's an adventure they're all journeys um and uh i don't know keeps me out of trouble no well i think a columbia university graduate school of journalism graduate might appreciate this segue speaking of marathons it seems like we are in for a marathon in australia the drama on the court hopefully will match the drama we have seen off of the court thus far as players have descended down to australia have begun their quarantine of course you wrote one of my favorite pieces of this australian summer thus far for the new york times the headline being rash of coronavirus cases poses early challenge for the Australian Open and that's why we wanted to have you on the podcast today to talk a little bit about that piece because and you know for our listeners you are down in Australia you are on the scene with no better term to come to mind Matt it seems like it's just been a clusterfuck through the first two three days of uh, people getting down there and I'm just curious again before we even get into the details your initial reaction to the kickoff of this Australian summer well they really just weren't sort of prepared uh for the eventuality of of some players showing up uh and testing positive because everybody had to or not even just some players but really just anyone who was on the planes with the players i think and i think they felt like they were going to be safe with that because we all had to get tested uh and have a, a pcr test the nasal test and produce a negative result within 72 hours of traveling. So, you know, I think they felt like there was a pretty low chance that um, people were going to show up and be positive. And, you know, they knew that if something like that happened, there was a chance that the health, local health authorities were just going to close everybody who has been, who had been on the plane um, down and make them do the hard 14-day 
lockdown uh, that all the non-players have to do. So the players, I think, sort of knew about that, but everyone assumed that everybody was going to be safe and there was no sort of plan B. So when you did have uh, some positive tests coming in, three planes, um, I believe in terms of acute positives, they're up to seven, um, one player. Uh, you end up with 72 players being locked in their rooms for 14 days. Not an ideal situation when you're heading into um, three weeks of pretty hardcore competition. No, I imagine even for a marathon runner like yourself, you're getting restless, right? Being in that room just in general, even when you're doing a job day in, day out, it, I can imagine it must be maddening. It's something it, so many of us can sympathize with. Yeah, it's pretty weird. I mean, I haven't, I rented an exercise bike so, and I'm, you know, I'm in a pretty nice hotel room, so I'm not going to complain. I think war correspondents have it a lot worse than I do and people are in a lot, a lot more trying circumstances. Um, but you know, the isolation is very difficult. Um, you know, you're in a room alone all day and there's a guard outside my door. Like I cannot, I can't, I can't even think about going outside. The only human contact you have is with the people who show up to test you every day. Um, you, you know, your meals, somebody knocks on your door and leaves a box of food, uh, three times a day for you to eat. And that's, that's basically it. And I think I'm on day six right now and uh you know or no no i think i'm on day seven actually i'm on day seven and you know have uh, seven and change to go and um you know it's it's uh it's getting there but it's it's a long haul no, you la- you lose track of the days at three and four because you're having so much fun. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine. By the way, the next time you come on, I think you've just given yourself a title. You will be our wartime correspondent uh, because Oof. that is what you're on the ground here in Australia for us. But, you know, again, there are so many different elements of this to explore. I want to start uh, with something you mentioned there, which is I think one of the inciting incidents, Matt, was when Tennis Sandgren, on his way to the Australian Open, tweeted out the fact that he had gotten on a plane despite testing positive. He was pretty sure it was a residual positive, but nevertheless, it caused drama because there were other players on the flight. And then, as you mentioned, subsequently, there were additional flights that yielded positive tests and forced, up, I think it was 72 players, to go into the two-week lockdown where they don't even have access to the courts. But just... Starting with that inciting incident, and you sort of referred to this, uh, the Australian Open was hoping there would be no positive tests upon arrival. The obvious counterpoint to that is you look at every sporting league that has started across the globe, whether it be professional soccer, whether it be the NBA, whether it be the NFL, upon resumption, there were a wave of positive tests. And for a brief moment, uh, it felt to me, I was kind of relieved almost. I was like, okay, they're not lying to us. Like there should be positive tests. It's a horrible thing to say. Of course, you're wishing safety and health on everyone, but that's just the reality of this pandemic. So I suppose my question is, A, how much did the Tennis Sandgren drama playing out in public add fuel to the fire and then b i guess how are they not better prepared for an inevitable positive test because it just feels like there was always going to be a positive test so um i was on that flight uh we were delayed a couple hours while they figured out whether they were going to let him 
come to the tournament. And then uh, that that flight, with, which subsequently had three other positive tests. So, um, you know, I think it, it, there's a couple questions there. The first is, you know, in terms of the confusion and who was being let on, who was not. There are there there are there is so many layers of or not even so many layers, but there is one very clear layer of you know who has the final say here, and it is the uh, government for the state of Victoria, which is where Melbourne is located, and they are in charge, and the health officials there make the decisions, and there's really no arguing with them for the most part there's a little bit of negotiation you can do because if there was no negotiation then there would have been you know the players would have there wouldn't have been an australian open because the they wouldn't have allowed the players to have the five hours uh outside of their hotel rooms that they are allowing them to so there was a little wiggle room there but i think the confusion was with that was you know he had already been ruled that he had covid and so they have what they call viral shedding. So you can continue to test positive on and off uh, for several weeks um, after you've had COVID. So there was some confusion there. Um, and it was a little, yes, it was a little nerve wracking. Uh, but look, my daughter had COVID and I've been around her plenty. So I'm aware and I think a lot of people are aware that that danger, you know, really wasn't a huge danger. The issue with uh the other positives is you know this is so controlled by the government and there is so much personnel involved with watching over us marshalling every movement that we make um that what i think would have that what they would have had to do was they would have had to just reserve an entire empty hotel uh, that had tennis courts for the eventuality where people who were deemed in close contact with whoever tested positive, because anyone who tests positive goes into the hardcore medical hotel isolation uh, for, four, for 14 days here. But you would have had to have a separate hotel where other people are kind of bubble inside of the bubble or a separate bubble. And it's possible that that was just sort of too much to contemplate and too much of a plan to uh, to create. Even now, I think they've sort of tried to contemplate how they could get next week players who continue to test negative out to some sort of tennis facility. Uh, but I don't. I think that's proving very difficult. So um, I'm not sure that's going to happen. I'm pretty sure yeah. it isn't going to happen at the moment. Actually, mm-hmm. no, and you you referred to this uh, and it really well in your article, uh, giving the context of what Australia, the Australian and Victorian governments have done uh, to minimize the spread of COVID. And you know, you talk about the fact that the numbers in Australia, and we've mentioned it before, you know, in other countries and such as the other co- comparable uh, Grand Slam hosting countries, uh, they measured in the tens of thousands of cases per day in Australia. They don't mention in the tens of thousands they 
measure uh, they measure it in the tens. It's tens of cases, and you know, at one point there was the fact that uh, I believe people were allowed outside for just one hour, and it had to be within three miles of their home unless they had a designated ID that allowed them to be beyond that three mile circle. And there's been rules between traveling uh, in between states within Australia, and all of these limitations that are being waived at you know the slightest or being waived, I suppose. Uh, for all of these tennis players uh, to accommodate them in this event. And that has been part of the pushback. And, you know, we don't feel as much here in the United States because we're lucky when the U.S. Open gets covered properly at the Australian Open asking uh, non exceptional people such as yourself to write about that story that's not going to happen but we have if you're engaged in tennis twitter if you're engaged in the tennis community you have read about the pushback in australian media to the accommodations uh being made for these players and it feels like and we haven't brought this up yet but the djokovic letter might have been another inflection point in this saga again you are on the ground i'm curious what has the reaction been within australia to all of the the drama surrounding this Australian Open? So I had, I mean, I'm sort of relying on local news and other reports because I don't have a lot of contact with Australians because I'm locked in my hotel room, so I can't, like, go to, you know, a person on the street interview. I was um, checking in with our Sydney bureau chief and asking him what the feeling was around it and, and his sense of it was that, you know, uh, people outside of Victoria were sort of not entertained is the wrong word, but, you know, it was it was interesting to them. You know, people in Victoria and people in Melbourne were just really pissed. Um, you know, this is not what they want. This is not um, this is not how you behave when you're a guest. And 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 the fact is, the last thing. I mean, Djokovic is not American, but the last thing any American can do is claim any sort of authority on how you should handle COVID. And, you know, I guess, and and I think someone like, you know, even Djokovic should probably not claim any kind of authority on it either, given that he held a super spreader event in the spring. So, um, look, the Australians have done a really, really good job. You mentioned the measurement of the cases. They've averaged 14 cases, I think, the last time I checked in the whole country of 25 million people the last two weeks. And those 14 cases are entirely, I think, international travelers who are arriving. They allow 6,500 people a week into the country. That's about 950 a day, I think, if I'm doing the math right. And the positivity rate among those arrivals is 2 to 3%. So if you do that calculation it comes out to about 15 cases a day and that's it that's all they have it's not in the community and they want to keep it that way and you can't blame them for it and so people are like well i ought to be able to go tennis it, it go go play tennis and be a little more free it's like no you actually can't because we kind of like our we kind of like having people not die Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them.
Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Yeah, no, I mean, again, France, the seven-day average was 23,000. Great Britain, 33,000. The U.S. was 203,000. As you mentioned, in Australia, the seven-day average is 13 cases. They're doing something right. And look, uh, uh, all the story going into this Australian Open, of course, for all of you listeners, was we are holding it within a pandemic. And so there are always going to have to be concessions made between the players and uh, the governing bodies. Of course, you know, for Craig Tiley, somehow, you know, you feel sympathy for Craig Tiley now because of just the negotiating he has to do between, between trying to keep the players happy, trying to keep the government happy. And, you know, it seems like there have been miscommunications along the way that have led to the grievances we've seen aired by players now you know if you read the Australian Open guidelines that they sent out when the tournament was first announced you will find that there is a section saying hey if there's a positive test on your flight in you will be subject to the two-week quarantine with no access to courts and it seems like a lot of players either didn't read that or hope to get around that or just hope to avoid a positive test uh, on their plane rides. And that has been a rule that has been a big source of conflict. Uh, Again, is it a miscommunication? Did that rule not exist? What has been the source of the, you know, what has caused this problem? I think part of the issue is that you just, you you just think it's not going to happen. I mean, I, I can just speak personally. Um, you know, I took my precautions. I went, I, you know, wore, wore a mask a lot. And, you know, I just really wasn't thinking about, you know, I might get sick between, between New York, uh, and my, and my, my pre-flight test and, um, arriving in Australia, especially if it was on a chartered flight, which had was a big plane and it had 68 people on it. Everybody who had been subject to a test now, could I have caught it, you know, caught something as well on the flight from New York to L.A.? Yeah, but, you know, again, those that flight was empty. So you just don't really think of it until you're here, until you're confronted with it. And, you know, I was facing a hard 14-day lockdown anyway, so it doesn't really affect my life. Oh, but if I test positive on day 10 of that lockdown, I'm screwed for another 14 days at least. So, uh, it's, um, you know, you, you sort of, all of a sudden you're confronted with that and your mind just, I think in preparation sort of goes to the, the, the optimistic spot because otherwise you just, you wouldn't come, you wouldn't come if it was on the pet on the pessimistic side of things. So mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit of the problem. I mean, I personally, thought that they should have held this tournament in December 2021 and just on back to back um that, that I, I thought that would probably have made the most sense you know there's no tennis in December so everybody's on vacation and people could have just come here and they could have played two grand slams and uh by that time you know most I think pretty much all the country is going to be vaccinated by then probably uh, I think that's their plan. They think that they think they'll all be vaccinated by September. They haven't started yet, but uh, they so and I and I think the world is hopefully going to be in a better place by then. So I, if you're talking about hindsight, I, I, I talked to Craig about that in December and he just said, look, there's no guarantees of what the world will look like then. And so we figure we're going to take the burden hand as long as we can do it. 
Mm-hmm. And for so many of these players, as you mentioned, that was their expectations coming into Australia as well. A, the hope that they would not be in a situation where anyone in their vicinity tested positive, but B, that they would have the opportunity to train and get their, you know, two weeks minimal activity, but some activity in, then ramp things up that week before in the warm-up events, ultimately, hopefully peak for the Grand Slam. But, you know, again, we've seen whether it's the videos of players on the bike or hitting against their walls and Believe me, I want to ask some of the sounds you must be hearing in your hotels because I feel like there's a good two minutes on that in the end. But uh, just in general, for so many of these players, uh, they've expressed frustration. Some of them going as far as to say, I wouldn't have come had I known this was going to be the case. Some of them obviously expressing concern publicly that two weeks of the physical conditioning, that's great. And we appreciate the accommodations, but to expect us to be ready to compete in a grand slam on one week of training is not nonsense and you know then we saw the manifestation of this Djokovic letter with a list of uh, requests from the players uh, for both Tennis Australia and the Australian government for listeners who may not know about that letter can you give them a synopsis and ultimately the general sentiments as you see them right now amongst the players uh yeah I mean I think the letter was written on I think on Sunday Day. Uh, it was shortly after you had uh, you already had I think 47 players locked in at that point, and it would eventually grow to 72. And Djokovic, who has this nascent players association, I think feels responsibility to try and speak for people. He uh, and the the other top of the top players are actually in Adelaide, in a different city, in a different lockdown. They and uh, and were and were given sort of better rooms and they were allowed to bring larger entourages. Uh, there's going to be a special exhibition event there. Um, and uh, Tylee has explained that just, you know, you know, if you're top, if you're a grand slam champion and top, top three in the world, you're going to get treated differently. That's just the way our sport is. So um, anyway, he sent a letter asking for, I think, I think sort of the most audacious demand was that the, the the government or Tennis Australia find private homes with tennis courts for every player who was negatively affected by the positive tests on the airplanes, um, which is, you know, you can just chew on that for a little bit. Uh, and, um, you know, but there was, you know, other stuff, making sure there was exercise equipment, also asking for, you know, a dispensation next week for, players who continue to test negative so they could get out of their uh, their 14 days early. Um, you know, all of this was immediately and soundly rejected by the health ministers. And yes, uh, you know, players are not happy about it. Um, there are also players who are pretty embarrassed about that demand because it did not go over well. Uh, and interesting thing Craig said was that it, it sort of, sales of tennis tickets came to a halt. Um, so people really, so it really sort of left a sour taste in the locals mouths. And to the extent that they expressed that by not there's, there's available tickets. If you want to come to the Australian open, they're doing, I think about 50% capacity. And, uh, they, they, they those, those sales went way down. 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, you, you, we've talked about this in the background. Anyone who wants to criticize the players will quickly point out, and you quote Craig, I believe, saying this in your article, uh, if they realized if they didn't want to do it, referring to the limited quarantine period, there would be no Australian Open, no lead-in events, and no chance at $83 million in prize money. And of course, it's impossible not to mention that. Look, there were always going to have to be sacrifices to play a Grand Slam, an international event like this, in the midst of a pandemic. And so there were always going to be struggles. Now, again, to ask, you feel for both sides, right? Because, of course, if you're, if I, again, as a marathon, you had a marathon in two or in three weeks and I locked you in your room for two weeks, you have one week to train and then you can run that fourth week, you would be like, that's kind of BS. Like, no, I'm not signing up for that. Uh, but, of course, it's then worth noting that these players at are, would have experienced something that the rest of the Australian people weren't experiencing, which is the opportunity to even leave their hotel room at all during that first two-week quarantine. And so, I don't know. It, it's really tough. You can sympathize for both sides. I guess my, my final serious question to you would be, at this point, with all the controversy, and we have seen players starting to get out on court now in Australia, and it does th- seem like things have calmed down a little bit, but just what are your feelings for where we're at with this Australian Open? Is there any chance if we see any more positive tests or whatever it may be that the Australian Open does not go on as planned? Well, they did uh, They did announce the, the first player tested positive um, from one of the from one of those flights. Uh, I don't actually know who the player is at the moment. Um, trying to find out, but uh, so you have that. Could you have more positive tests? Yeah, I mean the possibility is out there. We are. It does go down with each day. We are at the point where you know more than more than fifty percent. Your chances are less than fifty percent that if you were infected uh, last week or on the plane coming over on your plane coming over that you would, uh, test positive because the incubation, the median incubation period, I think is 5.1 days, something like that. So, but you know, you could get some more positives. You could get some more lockdowns. I think the tournament will happen. I think everyone will say there's no way they will do this next year. And if they're in the same position, um, I don't know what I don't know how how this informs what will happen with Roland Garros or Wimbledon um, in you know the spring and summer. And I, I think it's just a it's a it's going to be a, a, a touch and go for a while with this thing, and um, I, it's 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 going to be a a complicated few a complicated few months, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully, uh, as people start getting more access to the vaccine, uh, things will start to clear up. And, you know, certainly 2022 will hopefully be more normal than 2021. Absolutely. That is something we are all hoping for. Well, some quick ones for you now before uh, we let you get back to it. You mentioned the quote, Craig Tiley on Adelaide. I get the feeling it is perceived as preferential treatment, but they're the top players in the world. My general rule is if you're at the top of the game, a Grand Slam champion, it's just the nature of the business. You are going to get a better deal. My question to you, Matt, is Craig Tiley on a mission to become the Roger Goodell of tennis? Uh, Roger, I'm not, I'm not sure what, how you're referring to that. I mean, I think, 
I, I think you're saying being kind of critical um, in, in that in that moment. Um, I don't think he's necessarily saying anything that any tennis player didn't already know. Uh, yeah. My comparison would be that Goodell, the sponsors love him, the TV partners love him, every all the business interests love him, but uh, you know, publicly sometimes he takes it on the face from the journalists and the media who are somewhat more critical. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that does happen um, sometimes, and uh, is it is it warranted? Yeah, generally it becomes becomes a bit of a. <laughs> He can become a bit of a punching bag. Um, this was a tough situation, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a this was a big roll of the dice. There are many risks involved with this, uh, but you know, I think I, I think he knew that going in, and um, it, he's obviously not had a good not had a good week. Um, <laughs> but if you get through. If you get through this without too many, without another plane going down, without another large collection of players having to suddenly lock themselves down, uh, he'll probably be pretty. It'll probably feel like he made the right decision. If you're in a situation where the whole, um, where you know, we're at a point where, you know, it's late next week, and all of a sudden you get a bunch of positives, and a bunch of players have to then quarantine for 14 days that really sort of threatens the field and that will be, that will be a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Now, no one will enjoy the month of March more than Craig Tiley. Um, all right. Three more fun ones for you down the home stretch here. A, you are in the hotel where I believe people are quarantining and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we've seen the content. There's a lot of bouncing. There's a lot of working out. I can only imagine the noise complaints that have been racked up. Tell me what life in the hotel is like. I am actually in a corner room in a hotel in a, in a hotel that has some players, but not a ton of players. I don't think because I'm not hearing anything. So, um, <laughs> I, I, or I'm near I'm near the corner, and I guess maybe above me, nobody is nobody's bouncing up and down. So. Uh, my experience of it, of, of all of what you're seeing is, is just, is sort of like yours. It's just, just what I'm seeing on social media. Well, who's your favorite piece of content so far? Who are you following? Uh, you know, I sort of check everybody out. I thought that, um, I thought it was pretty funny the way Coco Goff was whacking balls against the, the mattress. Uh, I think all the people who are whacking balls against the mattress is pretty, it's, it, it's pretty impressive. Um, and you know, they're just, uh, they're trying to, they're trying to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. No question. Food update. It looks, some days the food looks pretty appetizing. Yeah. The food's not great. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, but we, but you know, I mean, that's the food that comes with the, uh, that, that comes with the package. You are free to order whatever you want, get your Uber Eats delivery, yeah, order stuff from the grocery stores. So um, if you don't like the food, you got options. So we're, you know, there it is. It is. It is what it is. Again, this is not a situation where um, I think anyone is on firm ground when they're complaining about the food that is being delivered to their doorstep. Uh, no, a lot of no people, a lot of people who don't have food 
uh, in the world. So no, um, no question. Do they give the complimentary Vegemite? I have not seen any Vegemite. Thank God, because um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's not not particularly appetizing. Uh, I describe it like eating a salt stick. That's probably the equivalent when you pop them in your nose post concussion. Not that I do that frequently, but I imagine that's the sensation. It's the same as eating Vegemite. Uh, I I have not tasted Vegemite since I was forced to eat it uh, when I was pledging a fraternity in college <laughs> in 1987 or 88, um, and it kind of that having to having to do that uh, back when hazing was a big was a big and public thing uh I, I, that soured me on vegemite for life mm-hmm. no for sure well then my last question for you a tennis related question i'm sure you will write more about this as we get closer to the event uh but give me some names give me one man one woman who you are excited to watch compete in this australian open so i'm really excited on the women's side to watch vika because she has probably been the most diplomatic and the most zen like about um the lockdown she you know immediately like wrote a letter basically telling her player the other players to just shut the hell up and stop complaining <laughs> and to deal with it and not make excuses and um i, I well first of all i think i'm i'm excited to see how she's going to be completely embraced by the crowd. I really think she will be. And that, that can, that can be helpful uh, as we know, especially for her. So I, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing that. Cause I think a lot of this is going to be mental uh, once you get to the open at least. So I'm excited to see her. And then, you know, look on the, uh, on the, on the men's side. Um, I just, you know, I just want to see uh, Rafa and Djokovic in the final, and uh, we'll go from, <laughs> go from there. No, it's good for all of us if that's the case. I have no problems with that, and yeah, I, I completely agree. I think Vika, the way she ended last season, it wasn't just the run in New York, the way she played in Rome, the way she played down the home stretch in Ostrava and Linz. It was, it was really fun to watch her uh, compete and get back and be so confident on court, and uh, I feel like, yeah, that confidence has translated in the fact that she's like, look, it doesn't really matter. Let's roll the balls out two weeks from now, and I'm going to beat all of you, and I kind of love that attitude as well. So certainly I look forward to seeing that. And of course, I look forward to reading more from you uh, for the New York Times as you continue your coverage of this Australian Open for our listeners out there who want to read your work or follow what you're doing. Where can they find it all? Uh, yeah, I'd say the best place is the New York Times and uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Matt Futterman. Uh, I have a Facebook I have a Facebook page, uh, which uh, you can find. And those are probably the best things I do have in instagram account matt foot one but i'm pretty bad at uh <laughs> posting on instagram um so you might not find much from me there and uh you'll you, you'll find all my work on those other channels i was gonna say we're waiting for the matt futterman quarantine content that is the one thing we're missing so far uh yeah australia yeah, there's a certain I, I, you know, I'll, I'll give away I gave away my age there when I talked about when I was uh, <laughs> pledging, when I was pledging a fraternity. So I, I think 
I, I, I fall on the generation that doesn't really post all that much about his private uh, private life and the inside of his, what goes on on the inside of his hotel rooms. Uh, no, 87, 88, that was a great time, right around Glenn Rice, Michigan years, I guess a little bit before that, Miami was still good at football, those were great times, great times, a little I before remember. my time, but great times. <laughs> uh, from what I remember of them, I remember them well. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, this was an absolute pleasure. And so if you are bored, if you need a channel to stay sane, please, Matt, don't be a stranger here. You are always welcome back on our show. And again, thank you so much for taking the time. Stay safe, stay healthy, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with New York Times' Matt Futterman. Again, a huge thank you to Matt for taking the time to chat, for you know, uh, talking to us from Australia, giving us a little sneak peek of what it is like to be there. Again, I will try my best to get Matt on the podcast repeatedly as we prepare and watch this Australian summer unfold. But of course... There's so much action going on right now throughout the tennis world. We played a game of stock, buy, sell, or hold with my friend Sandy Middleman. Earlier on the week on the show, we talked about some of our most intriguing players of this 2021 season. So if you want to hear more about the 2021 uh, season, uh, pro tennis season, go check that out. Of course, we have been very focused here on the ITA kickoff weekend coming up starting this Friday. We will be covering all of the action on our YouTube channel with our Red Zone feed. We're going to be jumping again from site to site, match to match, as action heats up across the country. You don't want to miss out on any of it, and you want to hear what Chris and I think immediately as these matches are unfolding. We're going to have a lot of fun with this, so be sure to come join us on the stream, and if you missed any of our college tennis content, you could find it all, as well as everything we do, on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. But with that in mind, for my wonderful guests, New York Times writer Matt Futterman, our super producers, Fliegner and Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? That's the break. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.